This is Magnolia Leadership Podcast, heart, soul, and earth aligned. I'm Katherine Miller, a holistic practitioner of 30 years and your host. Join me as we discuss what it means to lead from the sacred feminine. Magnolia Leadership is here to guide you home, remind you of your courage, awaken your deepest knowing, revealing your fullest expression, and supporting your beautiful blossoming. Welcome in. Today, I welcome a woman who is near and dear to my heart, someone that I consider to be a true wise woman. I introduce to you Josepha James, a multiracial trailblazer, an advocate for education, justice, people of color, and women. Born as the fourth child among 10 siblings, Josepha grew up in a diverse household with a Creole father and an Irish mother, instilling a strong sense of cultural richness. The family's emphasis on education was influential and pivotal in shaping Josepha's life. With a passion for learning, Josepha pursued higher education at the University of California, Irvine, and moved on to pursue her dream of being a civil rights attorney by attending law school in San Francisco in 1976. The position no longer existed after she passed the bar exam and her career took another turn. San Francisco was Josefa's home for the next 47 years where she was deeply immersed in building community, her career, and raising her son as a dedicated single mother. In 1989, she embarked on a career as a deputy district attorney in Alameda County, fighting for justice and fairness within that legal system. And throughout her 31 and a half years in that role, she left a mark on the community and fought tirelessly for the rights of others. In addition to her professional accomplishments, Josepha nurtured a love of travel and writing. And for 54 years, she has been journaling to capture the essence of these adventures and reflections. In our conversation, we chat about women and the role of wealth in holding power, how the law shapes our reality, the importance of education in having power, the experience of being a woman of color, bringing the feminine and the masculine into balance and wholeness, the cost of the feminine being out of balance, reclaiming the power of the mother, reconnecting wisdom into places where there's wounding, embracing the beauty of the masculine and raising healthy men, the ferocity of the mother as the sacred power, our responsibility to care for what is given to us, what is ours, working with the programming, the deprogramming of unworthiness and the challenges of identity. She has recently retired and is in the Monterey Bay area close to me and she continues her dedication to fostering positive change and her love of learning, supporting so many people and loving everyone she touches. She's truly an inspiration. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy hearing what she has to say as much as I do. We have women who are outside of the system 
who are setting up businesses or running their families differently, but they've moved out of the dominant system in order to be in alignment. And then we've also had some women who are working within these more masculine systems. And we've had a few of them on, right? So we had this amazing woman who was an attorney at a big pharma company, general counsel, and her whole talk was about what was it like to be, oh, she's 75, right? To be a woman going through the corporate structure as an attorney with two tiny kids and trying to like be a mom and be in the system and, you know, have feelings, have heart, but be like in this completely male dominated business as an attorney, right? Right. And also so you, have interesting. To, uh, you have to understand that when she went to law school, women weren't going to law school in mass like they are now either if she's 75 years old. Right. Right. She was the first female attorney at her, but she, the first partner at her, where, where she worked the firm in San Francisco, the first female partner they ever had. So like really trailblazing. Right. Also very involved in like the women's rights movement and reproductive health and all of that. But so her discussion was like, looking back, she was like, I didn't even have a chance to think about it. I was so busy, right? Just in it and raising the kids and um, doing the hard work of just showing up. I didn't have a moment. I knew what was right or wrong, but I wasn't. She was saying, we have come further to just even have the ability to think about these things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that women have more agency now more earning power right right that they can set themselves up like i have and have a separate business outside of you know i left corporate i don't know if you know that but i left yeah. corporate america because i was going to die there i mean it was like right this is not where my creative energy is going to be of service right so and I, we are the first generation of women to retire on our own money well without having to be with a man and relying on that well you know that the, the women have been held as property and mm -hmm. you know and our stuff really comes from england you know mm -hmm. we can say what we want but essentially they set up the patriarch in a way that you know you married and all your money once you got married went to the male mm -hmm. and that continued on until literally this generation our huh. generation we are the ones now as we come into the markets, as we come into these fields, right? As we went to law school, we went to college. In my mother's generation, only 5% of the women had a college education. Wow. And my grandmother, my mother's mother didn't vote, was not able to vote until she was 33 years old. Mm -hmm. So now the right to vote and to change laws and things like that, now we get into the those positions in of power mm -hmm. and get an income and it's our money because we were able to set it up so now you know the male can't come in and just take it from us well and there's the community property laws and things like that exactly and those were all developed so that it, it literally got to the point you know i mean before what they did is they just burned you at the stake when women had economic power and it was older women and stuff like that they took it away from you by burning you at the stake essentially mm -hmm. Interesting. So now this generation, finally, like the woman you mentioned earlier, the whole trek going through law school, being the first, being the first, being mm -hmm. the first, 
but she has wealth mm -hmm. that is now hers mm -hmm. and the laws are so nobody can just come in and take it from her. Mm. So this is where the law benefits us. Right. Mm. An interesting place to start. I hadn't thought about that. This is why the conversations are so interesting because each woman has lived and woven her thread, right. right? And so here you are talking, of course. I mean, there's so many topics that you could talk about, but you're starting with the law and how it, it sounds like shapes our reality. It does. And I think we're, we're, um, we're seeing that manifest today with essentially the Supreme Court is crumbling. Mm -hmm. And it's crumbling behind the hubris of, you know, at once it could just be, you know, the male had the idea that they were paternalistic and they were doing everything. And we had to buy that they were doing everything for the benefit of the woman. And now what it's all gotten down to, and, and you know, it's politics too. I mean, but those are the lawmakers, you know, mm -hmm. that they there's this hold on it that they don't want to let go of. And people aren't getting that everybody's feeding into that. But then that creates what we have today, which is you have a system mm -hmm. set up, the Supreme Court, for example, and nobody respects it anymore. It's no longer, there's no longer that um, are around it, right. that everything's being no done reference. in the best interest of everybody below that condescending patriarchal thing. Mm -hmm. They're now trying to shut people up, you know? Mm. They're um, going to college, just, just going to college, you know? Coming up, as I said, my mother was one of 5% of women at the time that went to college. Now, a majority of people went to college, but what did they do? They continue to raise the prices on the college so that nobody can afford it. Mm -hmm. And now, and I, I'm going to call it the patriarchy because it's the easiest way for me to describe sure. the thinking, yeah. which is the people who are ahead of the patriarchy, you don't have wealthy women. I mean, there's this joke that um, I think is Dave Chappelle made or something. I think it was Dave <laughs> Chappelle. But he basically said if... Um, Gates, if Bill Gates had Oprah's money, he would jump off of a building. Mm -hmm. So Oprah can be very rich, but she's wealthy. not wealthy. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't command wealth. Mm -hmm. And unless you command wealth, which is you don't, you're not in charge and control, you know. Mm -hmm. It's wealthy men that control the media, for example. Mm -hmm. So then now you have people like um, Elon Musk saying, you don't need to go to college. Mm -hmm. And that's just to keep what the workforce so that they can continue just to blindly make money mm. but actually not serve humanity on any level mm. so you don't align with his leadership style <laughs> that's a joke <laughs> yeah no really so okay so it sounds like we're well, not saying this but getting the balance corrected where you're coming in is like at this systemic level there's a way to correct the systems are out of balance very much so. Okay. And so when did you enter the law? Um, I got my degree in 1979. Okay. So how, what have you seen through that arc of 1979 and you retired two years ago, right? Right. In June. Okay. So in terms of women's experience of being in the law, being in that profession? Well, I think- well, In particular, the way that you worked, right? So I think I had a couple of experiences, mm -hmm. one being a woman, but also being black. Right. 
And they were very similar because as I watched evolutions or, or movements, let's say, mm -hmm. the women have consistently followed the Black mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. So for example, the Black man was given the right to vote before the woman was. Mm. When I graduated- An interesting lens. Yes, when I graduated law school, there were so few Blacks that you knew every one of them. And when I say every one of them, I knew who was on the Supreme Court. Mm. I knew who was on the Court of Appeals. There were so few of them. You mean through the whole system? Through the whole system. Wow. That you knew each other. Mm -hmm. That is not the case today. Mm -hmm. And it would be the same for women, you know, except that I didn't have, my lens wasn't through the feminine at that time. Mm. It was through color. Okay. And it's interesting because I, in law school, I took a class on racism and sexism, the mm. constitutional laws of that. And when I was asked in class about something, I pointed out that to whites, they saw me as black first and not female. Mm -hmm. To black men, mm -hmm. they saw me as a woman. Mm -hmm. So either way, a woman of color tends mm -hmm. to be not seen in her full light, even when we're now learning about all the incredible contributions that women of color have done. Mm -hmm. And including, or most importantly, I think, creating the next generation after generation and birthing them yes. and teaching them and, you know, mm -hmm. doing what they're doing. So a lot of sacrifice mm -hmm. and, but a lot of desire to live and have things bigger. There's something I would like to talk about because sure. it's, it's been, you get to, okay. <laughs> it's been kind of coming up for me very recently. It's the notion of, I can't separate out anymore the feminine and the masculine. Within you or within the world or both? Within my thinking, meaning as I go forward. Okay. In other words, I can't see myself as I'm a feminist mm -hmm. and then want to just address what we see as womanness, female, mm -hmm. or however you think it. I, I see things, I, I, and this is a little bit choppy in That's the sense okay. that, okay. This is, we're in the realm of the feminine, so it doesn't have to be linear. Okay. <laughs> so I, you think in terms of, of pendulum swinging, mm -hmm. and there's part of me that that bothers me because it, I have to embrace the idea that the pendulum swings far one way, it's going to come back swinging. You need another. to make change. Correct. Okay. So let's say the patriarch is the pendulum swinging out this way. Mm -hmm. And then we come back now and the pendulum swinging out that way and you get a Me Too movement. Right. But then in the Me Too movement, you get the crushing of masculine. Right. And so- That's the, distorted feminine. Exactly. Yeah. And so when I yeah, talk, talk I want to mm -hmm. embrace the notion in that center somehow mm -hmm. of the feminine and the masculine and it's not uh, an either or thing. It's a thing that needs to come together because those energies complement themselves. Absolutely. And hold it all together in truth. So right? to me, that's union, the union of the masculine and the feminine. Correct. In right relationship as complementary archetypes or energies. Absolutely. Not One is not more powerful than the other. So... I totally hear what you're saying. I actually think 
it did have to swing out with the women's rights movement. Absolutely. But, you know, in some way, and thankful and grateful for all the efforts of those women, and yourself included, right, who have forged that path, but in doing so, have to adopt the mantle of the masculine. They became, they had to distort the feminine to do that. Right. Right. To be successful in those systems, to learn how to have or to step into making money in those systems. And so now it's like there was a cost to pay for that. Right. And that's the patriarchy that caused them to have to be masculine in order to succeed in that environment. If they didn't come in being masculine and I can tell you when we started out, you know, we were still wearing skirts to uh court and things like that that's the way a female attorney dressed like a you suit exactly you, you didn't exactly mm -hmm. you didn't wear pants though mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and you used to wear these little tie things right that that became the thing that that's wow. how that to look as masculine as possible that's so interesting to me and i think one of the real good examples of it is hillary clinton mm -hmm. how she had to essentially embrace the masculine, mm -hmm. and when I say the masculine, I don't mean the masculine. Right, I mean put together and exactly. presented herself. Exactly, you know. And remember the time when she cried. Oh, right. You know, she doesn't deserve to be president. She cried. Um, That's true. I forgot that happened. Yeah. So, oh. what it is though is, again, we need to separate out what is truly masculine versus the patriarch's yes. definition of masculinity. Right. Right. And I think that's where, you know, people get caught up because unless you've had and I feel like I have a really um, I've had a very good time honoring the masculine in me. Oh, you know that I love the masculine. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, you honor and, it. Too. And it's expression within. I mean, I think the masculine has such an important role to play it, and they have been also moved off of their true power by the system. Right, right, right. And so when we start restoring the feminine to her rightful place, so does the masculine come into it. There's nothing more beautiful than a healthy, thriving masculine. Right? Absolutely. And so as we define in this society things by gender and that kind of thing, it has nothing to do with the way I see it in my head. Hmm. I see it as just within individuals that you balance out that concept because if you're leaning into oh, I'm like this and you know and this is you know all that then you're not allowing for the softer aspects of mm -hmm. right the flow you know okay so I totally agree with this and one of the reasons I'm interested in like emphasizing the feminine is because it has been so suppressed I agree and for us to be successful in this world and in the systems and in work we have had to develop our masculine, right? I mean, you had to go into- That had to overshadow right? the feminine, absolutely. Right. And there's a cost to pay for that. Huge. To us, as female-bodied humans who are forcing ourselves into this linear, goal-oriented, go structure, right? To where we can't honor the more sacred, the descent, the fertile, the dark, the- thing that falls the chaos of the feminine the feelings right and so we end up cut off from our true nature and I also want to add to me that's the maternal oh yeah of course yeah so right. when, I, when I say maternal though and I don't just mean mother but that idea of 
we got caught off from that nurturing place mm. that the female has mm-hmm. as not important. And that's why not you have to go, not valued at all. And that's why you're talking about, we have to go back and reclaim that aspect of it. I mean, there's so many aspects, right? Right. There definitely is the nurturing, the receptivity, the, um, the creativity, the chaotic nature. I mean, we literally have wombs to birth babies, to birth consciousness, and to birth new worlds, right? right so, right. you know, I think the Dalai Lama said it was the Western woman who's going to fix the problems that we have in the world, right? There's there's a power that needs to come through. Absolutely. Through the consciousness, through this creative right. portal that we all share. And right now, I don't know. For me, it feels like, oh, there's sort of an opening for this. I would and have to agree. The systems are loose, like what you said about the Supreme Court. The systems are kind of they're crumbling. They're starting to. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so are. within that, there's an opportunity, but we each have to do it. We each have to do that work. And it's messy. Right. Well, I, I laugh because the judge once said to me, women are messy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually kind of true. Like mm-hmm. we aren't super, we aren't all structured and organized and perfectly put together it's not supposed to be we are creative energy and destructive energy that is the power right and it's feared it's really feared that's why it's been suppressed that's why there's been burning at the stake that's why you know everything that you said earlier right it's the power to create life pop it yeah exactly pop it give me something that's more powerful than that right true power right and so there's all this stuff around it. And I see like we each have to reclaim it. And so it's really amazing when women start to heal because they have to, it gets messy, right? It gets, yeah, yeah, it does. The descent is not honored. And true healing requires the descent, right? The dismantling of all that doesn't serve, the deprogramming. Right. And, and it's, it's also the lost messages, Many women don't even know mm. what it is. Mm. And it's scary too when mm. you go into that place. Um, you know, you one can't help but thinking of Jesus at this time. And I'm not religious at all. I love Jesus. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> is that a bumper sticker? <laughs> I love Jesus, just not the religion that was built off of his teachings absolutely yeah. and and the thing about it for me is it, it's a lot of things but it's also mm-hmm. i can't think of jesus without thinking of mary of course not because it's the mother who had to stand back and allow this to happen you know i always make the comment that had it been my son being nailed to a cross they would they would have had to put the nails through my hands to get to it mm-hmm. But there's something's been taken away from that core place, and and you're describing it as the womb and all that, Mm -hmm. that has gotten devalued. And it's really important that we can go back in there and feel Mm -hmm. uh, what that's like. And I'm going to equate childbirth is probably one of the most painful things I'm told that could happen to you. Yeah. And I said kidney stones are a little bit worse only because you don't get a product from that after <laughs> that pain. Whereas at least you have joy after you have a child, preferably. But to come away from having, in other words, the knowledge about the feminine is so buried that I think our generation, and that's what I think you're doing right now, 
is all of a sudden you go, oh my God, the door is opening. Mm -hmm. Let's rush to keep it open. Mm -hmm. Put our foot in and start to, don't let it close back down, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So things may happen, like they may overturn abortion rights right. and things like happen. But that's just in a way to, as far as I'm concerned, keep your foot in the door. Hmm. That people will find themselves in a place and things will be created if we as older women who no longer need abortions and stuff right. like that don't shut the wisdom off because it only takes right. a very one it only takes to me uh one generation which is 10 years a decade it only takes that long to have knowledge completely shut off from the next generation mm. this has happened so often and again i have mm. to relate it to the black experience yeah sure very few people you know in a very short time they lost the notion of why black men aren't in the home not recognizing that the institution took them from slavery and talked like they were freeing them, but they weren't freeing up the Black man. They were freeing up the workforce from the South to move into the factories of the North. Mm -hmm. That was broken up when World War I and II happened. Mm -hmm. Then those Black soldiers left, Black males left the U.S. of A., went over to a foreign country. When they abandoned it, they left those places open for women to take over. Mm -hmm. And that's when the women moved in. The workforce, yeah. Then they came back, mm -hmm. but the women had had a taste of freedom. Mm -hmm. So they were giving that up. And then they figured, where are you going to put these black males now? Because they've been over fighting a war and they can use arms and things like that. So they built prisons. And then they did things like other forms of prison, welfare. Mm -hmm. So these men came back, couldn't feed their families, and they said, okay, Congress, we're going to get you, we're going to put you, uh, give you welfare. Mm -hmm. So they moved to have them get welfare, and then they said, but if you're an able-bodied man, you can't get the welfare. Mm -hmm. So men started moving out of their homes, mm -hmm. And at first they just would move out while the social worker came by. But then as any game is played, they got wise to that. And so if they go in the closet and see men's clothing and everything, mm -hmm. your welfare got cut off. Mm -hmm. So they stayed permanently away and within a decade create a system in which the black male doesn't even think he needs to be in the home. Mm -hmm. And black women or women period of these families think that the welfare system is a system that's going to support their child and the next generation rather than the wisdom of the women and the men who got them there in the first place. Mm. I've never heard it laid out like that before. That's been my experience of watching mm -hmm. because I got to study the constitutional law. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the other beautiful thing about being educated. Right. Once you get exposed to the things that, you know, um, I, like Porgy and Bess, you know, the song, it ain't necessarily so. <laughs> you know, we have a system, oh, an idea of how things are, mm -hmm. but it ain't necessarily so when you recognize that everything is pretty much motivated in this country around money. Absolutely. And it's around the white patriarchy maintaining their, their wealth power and mm -hmm. wealth. Mm -hmm. And they can't do that without subjugating everybody else around them. Mm -hmm. And so it's a matter of us as women, again, creating men who don't have that hunger 
Let's talk about to that. destroy. That's a good topic. It is. I love the idea that reconnecting wisdom back into these places of wounding is a remedy. That's really what you're saying. Absolutely. Like if you could, we, so I go to the how of that, which is an interesting question, but I, I've never thought about that being a disconnect from the wisdom. I've thought about it in other areas. So explain that to me. Well, sorry. what you just said is there's a lost wisdom and a lost understanding of the true history, right? Of what right. has happened. So the remedy for that is to bring the wisdom back in. Absolutely. So that people have a deeper understanding so that they can not disrupt right. the system that they're pr participating in. Correct. Exactly. And that is such an interesting example you gave because I'm just thinking of all of the ways that... Uh, black men are looked down upon and labeled and made bad for not being in the families. And yet it's this whole systemic Absolutely. oppression that has created that dynamic. Absolutely. Mm. And so then you're saying education is a remedy, but that's a whole. Well, you know, before you even get to the point where you can educate somebody on it, you have to have what you're educating them on. Mm. Right. And this is the, the problem with the institutionalization of what we have going on in this. And, and as we see examples of everybody getting raw freaked out about things like woke and CTR and all that other kind of stuff. But it's just the reaction to the knowledge that, wow, what if it gets figured out that that which you and I are trying to create with our own sons and with, with all the masking around us, because it's not just our sons, it's embracing this whole next generation of young men mm -hmm. who are just beautiful I want that job. souls. <laughs> <laughs> you have it. You have it. Yeah, I love, I love the way that you hold mothering. And you know, we're aligned. And right. I think, yeah. you know, a conversation about the sacred feminine and sacred union and bringing balance. It has to include this thread of mothering. Right. And I really respect your journey. I'd love to just hear a little bit about your mothering journey so people can understand that thread of you. Because it's almost stronger than the, we led with the career piece, right? But it's almost stronger in you than. Yeah, it probably is the strongest thing in me if I really look at what I'm doing. So I brought a black male into the world. And I, he was born just a couple of months after Rodney King was beat down in mm. Los Angeles in 1992. And I panicked. I panicked at that time because I thought, what am I doing bringing a Black male into this world? Mm. And then I took a job after law school, you know, 10 years of work. But my career has been as a deputy district attorney in Alameda County. So I'm in a system in which I know what they're doing to Black males. And I had to be vigilant mm. on so many levels to make sure that my son became one of the strong, loving men in the world doing good things. Mm -hmm. And the way, only way I could think about doing it is by addressing my job in a compassionate, loving way. Your job as a mother or your job in the... In, as a DA. Okay. As a mother, it came much more natural to me mm -hmm. because 
as a mother, the choice is always between your child and something else. Mm -hmm. And you always choose your child. Well, you do. Yeah, yes. And I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying you took that same philosophy and tried to embody that in the court system? Right. Because what I felt like was, and somebody told me once that that was an interesting form of karma I thought of. But I thought if I went into court system, by the way, which in criminal law, nothing good is happening in there, and added my angst, my crap, my stuff to that situation, my ego, if you will, if I added my ego to that, I would not be addressing the systematic problem or why the person felt like they should have to break law, own up to it or whatever else. I mm. I had the philosophy about wow. raising my son mm-hmm. that part of it was take responsibility for your actions. Mm-hmm. You don't judge them as good or bad. You just judge them as mm-hmm. you had an action. If that action created a poor result, you're responsible to go back and correct it. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a really simple answer. A DUI, somebody gets mm-hmm. driving under the influence of alcohol, you know. And a, a defense attorney would come to me and go, oh, you know, my client, they're real nice. You know, they're good people. They're this and that. And, they, and it's like, that's not a problem. I'm not assuming that they're bad a character people, issue. Right? Mm-hmm. They made a mistake. And for societal reasons, they need to com- take responsibility to that mistake so that they don't make that mistake again, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how I raised my son. It's mm-hmm. like, you take responsibility for your actions. Another way that I did is to protect him from other people's judgments of him. Mm-hmm. I allowed him to see who he is, to act who he is, and to make him understand that he had every right to be where he was. But he also had to recognize he was the only one only too often. Mm. I love what you're talking about here because it truly is the full embodiment of the feminine. And, you know, when we're talking about the feminine, we're not talking about, you know, the soft, gentle. I mean, that's a flavor. But what you're talking about is the power, like the tiger, the mom, the the power to care so deeply in a system like that and to hold that and then also be in this ferocity of the mother. This is the kind of sacred feminine that we need, I believe. Right. And to come back. And I love that you're able to draw the parallels between mothering and then how to embody that in the world. It's so like what that's an things, example. One of the things that I thought of was as I did my work, that if I should mess up, let's say, let's say, you know, that I, it, if it became about ego for me and all that, mm-hmm. the impact would be somebody in the future with my son. Mm-hmm. And so I treated everybody in a way so that when my son encountered, my work, my energy at another place in time that we have no control over in the universe. Karma playing forward. Exactly. Mm. That it would be clean for him. He wouldn't have to answer to his mother's sins. You were doing the spiritual TA. I mean, this is a very spiritual approach. And yes. this, this is what women do. And right. it was very threatening to, of course, yeah, I want to hear about the that. system. I was wondering how I was going to talk about this when I saw you, because I actually don't know, right? Because you were talking about the idea of leadership 
<laughs> and you see me as one and all that. Absolutely. And the thing is, you don't know how you got there. I don't know how I got there, right? Mm -hmm. You may be able to say, oh, yeah, well, it makes sense, this, this and this, and oh, yeah, I see you as a leader. For me, it was never like that. So let me define what I think of as a leader, okay. and this might help, which is being completely aligned with the truth and okay. moving in the world from that place. And there's just a place, nothing will take you off of it because it is not your truth, it's the truth. And you're moving with that in the world. And that's what it is to be a leader. You could do that on the sidewalk at the school pickup, right. or you could do it in the courtroom or in a therapy, right? But it's this way of aligning. So that, that's what I mean. And yeah. that is, it, I agree with you on that. And that's the part where it was like, how do you teach somebody that? Oh, I know. Right? Because my whole thing is, I know how I withstood years of being a pariah and ostracized within the office and still managed to do everything I did. How did you? Um, one is that my truth meant more to me than somebody else's truth about me right so you didn't well this is such an interesting place right you're you stayed with the truth rather than tried to belong right and belonging is such a strong impulse in us for survival it right is. and so but you're choosing and it's very very lonely and painful i'm gonna tell you mm -hmm. not having support mm -hmm. but staying in your truth and in the end your truth is all you really have mm -hmm. but you can't know that until you've lived a lifetime or you know a so career how, how do you teach truth i have a few ideas <laughs> do you then i like I to hear them because and maybe they'll spark something to me because i the first thing i think of is you teach it by example embodiment yeah like is you, that you, you yeah you yeah. are it it's in you you show up as it i mean think about your kids your child my my right, kids right, right right they've lived in this field Absolutely. and they're just it and now they're moving into the world from that. Place. Absolutely. So you just show up and you hold it. But I think, you know, just working with people, like teaching them how to feel that in their body. Because there's so much mistruth and so many overlays of things right. that are not true. It's just like, if I say to you, the grass is green. Well, it is. Yes. Right. But if I say. Unless it's brown. Right. Right. <laughs> but if I say like, you know, it's the grass is actually pink everywhere. It's. Yeah. it's different you feel it there's a feeling right and so I think like really just teaching people about discerning and is I a think, starting place and like, I think that's where you are as a therapist mm -hmm. have that skill set right because I don't know that I would I mean I know exactly what you're saying and I agree with you but I don't know that I would ever have been able to put it in that language and teach it that well, way. you have a different probably language for how you would impart that. I would say just from knowing you through your stories, through the way you connect, right? You very deliberate in your connection with people, um, the way you hold yourself. There's a teaching just in being around you that you probably don't see, just like I don't see, right? right? right. But it's just, it's like this, nobody's going to challenge your truth. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you don't. Right. And there's just a respect in it too. Like you're not threatening, but you just hold this place. And this is what we're doing, right? There's a teaching in it by just your own, this exactly. is what we're doing. It's true. And it's an embodiment. It's not just your story. And you're not sitting there like, 
that, you know, slumped over. You're just in it. You're telling it. And you have a strength to the story that you're telling. So there's like the storytelling. There's your embodiment. There's a way you hold yourself that just, I think that we all are resonating with each other all the time. And so I've watched the young people that I know just really kind of light up. I'm going to be in that field. Right. It feels I good. It, it does feels feel good. good. It does feel good. Because it's a place of safety. You know, it's a place you can trust. Yeah. But what I was going to say is that for us, the generation that is trying to bring these kids into that place, it's been very, very lonely and very, very painful. Hmm. And I think this is the beauty right now of what you're doing, which is trying to connect Mm -hmm. those energies Mm -hmm. and allow them to have a forum in which all of a sudden you can go, oh yeah, I can teach from here instead of from that other place Mm -hmm. that created this disembodiment. Mm. Because too often to just get along, you just had to shut up Mm. or suck it up. Mm. Or, you know, one of the worst things about me, usually you can read everything in my face. (laughs) I may be looking straight at you and Mm. you may be telling me something and I'm just going along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm looking you in the eyes saying, and I don't believe a damn thing you're saying or, you know. Okay. So you also not only hold the truth, you recognize it and you recognize when it's not there. Yes. That must have been helpful for your work. Somebody once said to me, <laughs> my bullshit barometer must be off the chain. And do you feel that that was just a gift you were born with? Was it cultivated in your family of origin? Mm-hmm. Is it, how do you think that you learned? to be so aligned with the truth and also I would have to say I think I was just born with it Mm -hmm. because it started at a very very young age um Mm -hmm. I can remember a time when my mother once said to me that she said you always tell the truth sometimes I wish you didn't because I don't want to have to punish you right right and I was examining it right and I was examining at the time because it sounded as if you know, when I was repeating this, and, and it's been very recent, by the way, but I went through this in my journaling mm. and got back to that place. Oh. And I, the incident was that she, there were 10 kids and her and my, my father. So there were 12 of us all together. And she mm. once went out and bought 12 peaches. And they were beautiful, ripe peaches and everything. And they were going to be dessert for dinner. Nice. And I found them in the afternoon or something. And I went and ate a peach. And my mother went to give them out at dessert time she said there's a peach missing who took the peach and I said I did and so she felt like she needed to punish me not for telling the truth I realized but for taking the peach when she had it masterful that everybody's going to get one and this kind of thing and I just blew the whole thing for her Mm -hmm. that I went but for me it was like why would I lie about that I've already had my peach I had it when I wanted it why would I have somebody else have to give up theirs? And it probably would have been her that gave it up because that's what a mother is used to doing. Mm. And I didn't need a second peach. You know, I had mine when I wanted it. So her, I didn't, so her choice, and, and I thought about this. I remember I was probably about nine years old. And I thought about, you can choose to punish me for telling the truth, but that's your choice. Mm. As opposed to, I'm not going to start lying to make you feel comfortable about punishing me or doing or not punishing me right mm-hmm. that wasn't going to help my soul even my young nine-year-old soul it, 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 that's not 
That wasn't my aim. That's not what I was, I wasn't trying to get through life by cheating out somebody else or taking mm -hmm. something from somebody else. Mm -hmm. The truth is a threat sometimes. Oh, right? yeah, I'm finding. Yeah, yeah. My, my family had that too. It was, um, why do you have to stir everything up? I'm like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying it. Right. I'm just telling you what is here before us. Right. And so what you add on to that, and I actually do connect like this deep truth telling with the feminine, like really this like knowing, this very deep knowing, right? And the willingness to speak it. And then I think about that in our culture now. How I mean this whole cancel culture and gets how, punished. It gets very punished. And that is dangerous. It's very dangerous. And it happened within my family. I got I got branded again a pariah. You know, I it's interesting because um, I'm what my astrologist teacher teaches me is that I'm in the crescent phase, in which you know my evolutionary progression through this time of my life is to um, I won't say turn my back on, but to address the past issues of betrayal that I've gotten mm -hmm. from religion, a society, and family. And so, yes, I've lived that with betrayal in my job situation, which mm -hmm. is society, in my family situation, and in religion in a way, because religion kind of holds all that together. Um, hmm. So in the family, when I told was told truth, I was characterized as being cruel. Mm -hmm. So here you are mm -hmm. when you're just saying, uh, no, because cruelty to me is an active malice mm -hmm. of trying to hurt people whereas I didn't have any uh what is the term I want to use any barometer any place to stand mm -hmm. that that wasn't in truth so I could stand somewhere and tell the truth and say wow you're hurt behind my telling the truth I should have said something else other than the truth mm -hmm. my being wouldn't allow me to do that but it, you it know, didn't get me to the thing where I wore the how is it that there's nothing I could know or do to make me so hated in my family, right? Mm -hmm. When I was telling the truth, because the intention wasn't to be cruel, but all my actions painted me as a cruel person within the family. Mm -hmm. And therefore that allowed me to be villainized. Well, that was their projection right. onto you. Right. Because they can be with the truth. But then that, as you can understand, is when you're a pariah in your own family, mm -hmm. that, that your family is more of the world to you, at least mine was, being there were so many of them, right? Mm -hmm. That you don't have that outside influence. You don't have an outside influence being able to come in and say, Actually, oh, you're just telling the truth. Right? And right. it's just perfectly fine in the world. And once you get out of it, because mm -hmm. you're held in that place with such, you know, betrayal and including, by the way, repeating any truths within the family to outsiders. Oh, heaven forbid, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't go beyond the walls. And that's how women, again, we can come make it yes, go full circle, absolutely. become abused, mm -hmm. silent about it, thinking they've done something wrong, and on and on and so on. So you're talking about the programming that we get around truth. Right. And speaking up. Right. And removing the programming. So the programming happens in our culture, in our families everywhere and it's the same as any kind of other institutionalization mm. to keep us subjugated you know what I'm saying so mm -hmm. like I said it's really easy for me to talk about the subjugation of the black culture mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, when I start talking feminine, it gets out there more because I was raised in a thing where the feminine, meaning the female, not the feminine, mm-hmm. but became other things, including male. Like it, like it was like, what do you want to call it? An, an interloper or something like that, you know, like a, mm-hmm. a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't really the feminine. It was the institutionalization of the masculine and the patriarchal trying to push women out mm-hmm. and that's why i see women on so many other levels and so it's really nice to people talk about the feminine mm-hmm. and the truth of that because you get to settle into mm-hmm. oh my goodness there's so much wisdom mm-hmm. and comfort and space exactly mm-hmm. and warmth and yeah. all those uh, all those mm-hmm. other and and even darkness in a calming way yes you know yes. and weight Mm-hmm. In, a, in a in a nurturing way and things like that you know beyond that's how we tap into that pool and I will suggest that you and I will not be able to see the end of that but I suggest that the age of Aquarius has just started mm-hmm. and the she movement did. to go sh- this is the time mm-hmm. so when you said I feel like this is thing yes it, it opened up what two years ago December 21, I believe, uh, the beginning, the um, the eve of the age of Aquarius, we're, we're starting. But these next 50 years, and I unfortunately probably will not have that many of them in there, but this is the time for the Thebden to establish itself mm-hmm. because we're going to need that going beyond the age of Aquarius, whatever comes next for that. Mm-hmm. So I would say right now we have that window of about 50 years to really plant some real important necessary things mm-hmm. for the future of humanity. I agree. I agree. And we can do it in our own. It doesn't have to be grand. We can do it, first of all, within ourselves. So this is healing our own relationship to our feminine. Right. Right. And, and the thing that's is huge. We, the thing is we really only can do it with ourselves and mm-hmm. begin with ourselves. I was having a conversation with my cousin. And she has grandchildren and she's just, you know, going boo boo boo, you know, going nutso. And and having, you know, the difference between how they're raised and they have a voice and stuff. We never had things like that, mm-hmm. right? Just she just got back from a trip in New York. And when I was talking to her, I realized that what she's doing is raising, helping raise her grandchildren. So amazing. It's the only thing she can do right now. And her job is to do just that. Perfect. It's to exactly. And so when we embrace that piece of it, you're doing the same with your son, I'm doing the same with my son. We realize that it's not outside of us, Mm -hmm. it's not bigger than us. We each have our own responsibility to take care of what we're given Mm -hmm. in the best way we can. Mm -hmm. You know, I would have loved so much more than one child. I would have loved to have, (laughs) you know, and life didn't do that for me. And now you're loving all the children. <laughs> I, I, I gave it back to me, though. I put that wish out there and I got them all. And it, and that's the beauty of it, too. That I wasn't necessarily here to independently raise all these other ones. My energy had to go through this one, mm-hmm. but it brought me all the rest of what I asked for. Mm-hmm. But it really is important to do that work within me because all of a sudden because you know I'm in therapy because I can't see my worthiness and all that Mm. however I can look at somebody else doing theirs and saying 
really, when I get down to it, life isn't asking any more of me than to do me really well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And honor you. Yeah. And shift that place inside of you to really be in alignment with the truth of who you are. Right. It's the deepest truth. And it's That's been, the deepest truth. It's been so many years of being told lies and just having to sit through them, number one. And also feeling unworthy, but the unworthiness comes when you recognize that all that you've been looking at is, is illusional, that, that this right. is what is being created to make you think that way and to keep you right. that way. Right. Yeah. The programming. The programming. The programming. So we have to get really smart about recognizing the programming. Right. So um, the individual programming. So things happening. Everybody seems to be, you know, the my support system is telling me I'm just healing right now, right? I'm healing. Every every time I'm taking a step forward, I say, Oh my goodness, I slept till 2 15 in the afternoon. I've never done that in my life. What is going on? And they said, You needed it. Mm -hmm. You're healing. And then this morning I was talking to my cousin and I said, um, you know. I'm always healing. <laughs> yeah. Are we ever healed? Mm, that's that's a goal that is a a I would say construct. Right. That we could somehow go towards this thing, have a goal, and be healed. Right. Yeah. No. And the other thing I said, which was different, was that our children don't have the wounding that we have. That somehow, whatever else we did, we didn't saddle them with the wounding mm -hmm. that I'm trying to heal from. Like my son does not have to do therapy like I do to just feel okay about myself. He doesn't have to do that. He feels just fine about himself. Thank you very much. Good job, Mana. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, maybe it's because I'm with people all the time. I think everybody has a wound. Even if we do the best, I used to make jokes like one day my kids are going to be sitting on some <laughs> shrinks sofa making like <laughs> they, they mama because their mom had all these therapy clients in their house, right? I was like, yeah, that's probably going to happen, right? Because human nature is that we have this experience and we come in and we're activated in a certain way and then we have to work on healing that. I can definitely see that my kids have wounding. It it is not the same as mine because I've done a good job of doing that piece of work. So they're not getting, my wound is not spilling into them, but they have their own, right? you know, um, their father not being there and just different, they have different things, right? being bullied or, you know, there's different aspects to each person's wound, but yeah, I mean, I think they don't have the depth. Right. And they have information and well, resources they to get help. That's it. Which <laughs> for us, it wasn't even there. That so we were pioneering even that very thing. And I think that that's. Well, going to therapy was frowned upon. Right. Even when I went to get my master's, my family was like, what? Why would you want to do that? Leave the corporate world and become, you know, it was not celebrated. Right. And when my cousin, who's also a therapist, went and she's in her early 70s now went to do a piece on grief. She couldn't find any books on it. I, when I say that, there was maybe one or two. Kubler-Ross, probably. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? The science, if you will, wasn't even there. Mm 
and what is it allowed. So even if we look for certain resources, it just wasn't existing at the time. Well, this is an interesting conversation right here because the realm of the feeling is threatening, right? right. But you have to feel it happens in your body. You have to actually process in that, go through the alchemical process in the body. Oh. And so that's very threatening to the mind or the linear, the more masculine structure, right? So there's there. this is still coming into full bloom that we can actually be in our bodies having our feelings, right? Right. Yeah. So something just triggered me where I probably most experienced the lack of support for the feminine. Mm. When I birthed my son, I my pubis mm. symphysis separated, my pelvis separated. That's an initiation. Right. And, um, you know, I later... You know, my marriage got destroyed around it. You know, my ex ended up leaving me because I was doing everything and all of a sudden I couldn't do anything. You know, I had this little being that I brought to the world that I just was trying everything to, I was trying felony cases and I was just trying to keep my little thing alive. And your body was My body was destroyed. destroyed. And, and even to this day, I have aspects of it, but I went out to try to heal. And, and, it, and I think it's interesting that it was a physical healing mm -hmm. that I had to do, but it brought me down the other path of healing. Mm -hmm. I think it had to be, which is, I think what happens within your body. I think Absolutely. your body explodes and then you go, oh shit, you think you're on the path and you're doing all this. And all of a sudden you have a major illness or something like that. And then you go, oh, I've got to go back to just the basics and right. stay alive. And Start again. <laughs> so that was it. And mm -hmm. when I went to get a diagnosis, when I went to get support, when I went to study the medicine, it wasn't there. Mm. And then I realized how many women doctors were there, right? And then I realized that the medical experiments, if you will, the examples of what is it, were done on men who are going to war. Men between the ages of 17 and 24, let's say. Mm -hmm. And the feminine with hormones and their magic cannot has nothing to do with that set of people. So we're treated, get over it. There's nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was no answers because the masculine, and I, and I say masculine, I mean the patriarch yeah. at this right. time. I'm not right. meaning the real masculine. Mm -hmm. The patriarchy didn't have the answers and they wanted everybody to believe they had answers to everything. And so they put the answers that were young males on women's anatomy. Oof. And it just... Okay. Was excruciating. And you're right as we're talking, this is all I can I'm watching you. Mm -hmm. What are you feeling? Again, oh, isolated, lonely, mm -hmm. disbelief. There mm -hmm. was disbelief for me mm -hmm. that the answer wasn't out there when I went to look for it. Mm -hmm. And I was only forced to look at it because of my own pain. Mm -hmm. And then that set you on a deeper healing journey. I would have to say yes, because. It, it, and at some point it started to blend mm -hmm. that there were so many other aspects to, you know, when you live like there's so many other aspects to it that the physical alone, since it wasn't there, 
I had to move into mm-hmm. some other realm. And that's when I started studying the reason why abortions became illegal in the first time, in the first place, right? It's because that women used to do them all the time. Mm-hmm. They were midwives. Mm-hmm. They call them quickenings. Right. And that's how, you know, you'd stop another baby from being born and taking all the food away from the whole rest of the family and stuff like that. That was a very necessary process. And it's part of it. But the patriarchy stepped in and state by state, a doctor got it so that they got women out of there. And, and so what, what is, again, some of the natural things that would have happened? It is now historically or medically proven that a woman attaches to the first male she sees after coming out of childbirth. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about your generation. You're a little bit younger than me. I'm a lot younger than me. But in my time, the father couldn't even be in the right. operating room. So you saw the doctor. So you saw the doctor. And your attachment became to the doctor mm-hmm. rather than the father of your child. That is so wrong. Mm-hmm. In terms of, so we're talking about how do we get back to that place in the feminine? You you bring it back to that place where home birth, <laughs> right? Or the next best thing to it. In other right. words, you don't need to have home birth so that you have to have all the medical facilities if something goes wrong or anything like that. But you create that situation and you allow midwifery, you allow women to study herbs, uh, oils, medicine, you know, nature. Uh, you allow that to be not the pharmaceuticals. Well, they've been doing it all along, right? Right. But then, it, but it's not covered by insurance, and right. So there's a whole shift that has right. to happen. And not only that, recognized. Not only that, they had to right because what happened? They could get in trouble for oh, it. Oh yeah, go to yeah. jail. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Just by so get punishment exactly mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know it, it got called witchcraft or you know whatever. The, it, it, in some ways, it's still the same. Yep. Any practice of the feminine is witchcraft. Mm, I'm a witch. <laughs> <laughs> All the best women are. <laughs> right. It's feared. It's feared. Yeah. That's how powerful it is. What we're talking about, that's how powerful it is. Yeah. Fear is very powerful. No, the feminine. Oh, it's feared. Yeah. The power has to be managed contained right Right. organized structured it's controlled but you can't do that it's not possible because we are the portals of life right although there's some interesting stuff happening now around you know what is a woman and what isn't a woman i mean one of the things that's been remarkable about doing these podcasts is how brilliant women are and i mean on every level right and how nervous they are about using their voice in a public forum right like wanting things to be changed not feeling comfortable being really nervous right I don't have that with my male clients they've never said like oh what if I don't say the right thing right, right? right. there's this thing with oh, their voice right right, right. right? because yeah. of the persecution and everything that happened I agree but I agree. even just like starting to talk about it and bring it out in the open and like we're here and we're powerful and the feminine is sacred and we can claim it and you know, all these different places in medical institutions, in different places of work, in, you know, the mothering and birthing, all of it, we can start to claim that it's a big thing. The energy of it is here, it's now, and also it's a hard thing to do. So I think part of it too goes back to embodying it and just like being it, 
showing up as it right in the world and not moving away from the truth of the power and this is one reason why you know and again i i hesitate because it's like oh can you really say that but i am wholeheartedly against people defining themselves through their sexuality for example mm-hmm. i'm a lesbian i'm a the same way I'm against defining race that way, because I think once you start calling yourself in that things, you get away from the ability to be whole within combining both the feminine and the masculine. Mm-hmm. If you allow it to be what it is without defining it and standing up and saying, you know, gay rights. And uh, so for me, it's the pronouns. So are, right? you more, are you more saying it's more about human rights, humans? And human rights versus, you know, certain kind of people or certain... Right. I would say, I I like the word civil rights, Okay. you know, but human rights is is, Mm -hmm. is good too. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. it's the, uh, it's the whole human Mm -hmm. and, and don't define it because once you start defining and categorizing it, you, you put up a little shield of some kind, you know, if, if, uh, if you're you know, quote unquote, a lesbian. And, and, you know, and I, I keep going back to that because it's a form of females generally Mm -hmm. that have chosen, um, have a different chemistry. Mm -hmm. But when you side with lesbianism, people can put that term out there Mm -hmm. and then do all this manipulation around it Mm -hmm. that helps has you contributing to, uh, the situation rather than coming away from it. I'll, I'll give you an example of something that happens. So, I'm in a courtroom and there's this um, lesbian. And so we're working together and everything, defense attorney. And I said, I you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll go, okay, girlfriend, like that. Mm-hmm. And she says, you need to change your pronouns. You need to learn your pronouns or change your pronouns. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, you know, cause she was insulted. Now somebody else came in and called her Mr. Williams. And, and I'm saying her, and she was fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but was objecting that I called her girlfriend. Mm. So I said, so I said, okay, well, teach me. Sure. I, I'm not trying to be, you know, objectionable. Teach me. And I said, and then she says, I don't have time. Mm. And so I asked her, I said, when did you graduate law school? She didn't want to take the energy to correct, to adjust you. No, she just wanted to correct me and make me go figure it out or whatever. Not educate me when this isn't in my world. Right. And I said, when did you graduate law school? She said, 2006. I said, well, I graduated in 1979 and nobody actually identified as this is gay. Totally right. Nobody mm-hmm. even identified as gay. Mm-hmm. This is pre Harvey Milk. Mm-hmm. You know, this is pre the gay male uh, liberation movement. Right. Which, by the way, I see it like this color first. Women next, gay rights next. Mm. Each one follows mm. the next. And you can almost see in every aspect of America how mm. Blacks got in first, then women, and then gays. Mm. But when I grew up, you sure didn't acknowledge that you were gay. Mm. And even when I went to work in the DA's office back in the 1980s, lesbians did not identify as lesbian. It took years for it to come out before they finally just said. So yeah. you're saying that it creates disharmony and division to create these identities around gender constructs or even race constructs. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And with that, it gets easier to control. 
Because then they just push certain buttons and then you're like, you're out of your center. You're out of your truth. The truth, if you really pay attention to it, isn't any of that. Mm -hmm. The truth isn't you're a lesbian. The truth is you're a human being Mm. who has a certain way of expressing themselves in the world. Mm. And when you force them to express themselves, not in the humanity of it, but in a societal way mm-hmm. so that they can be controlled and control others, then- Okay, that control really seems, that really speaks to me. I, I think when there's division, things that create division, and there's so many things that do, right? Um, open up the space for control to come in. Absolutely. Right? When we're not unified. And you see it in families, you see it in institutions, you see it in these movements. Exactly. Right? right. So- that's an interesting view on that, that that opens up for control. And that gets kind of scary when you think about that being a political issue on this massive scale. It's very scary. And it's, you know, I wonder what the role of trauma, I mean, just because of my lens, like what the role of trauma is playing in there too, right? People who are more traumatized might be more open to being manipulated. It's an, it's a, Boy, you could really expand this one. Yeah, they're definitely are more vulnerable. Yeah. If you know they're wounding. Mm-hmm. In other words, all you have to do is go right to their wounding, mm-hmm. put your finger in it, and you know, set them back mm-hmm. to whatever times. Because when you're in pain, when when you're mm-hmm. surviving and in pain, mm-hmm. you can't think. Right. You know, yeah, you're shut. You're you're surviving. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. there's this great example of this guy, Joseph Willenbrink, who did these little uh, TV cast things down in LA on the energy, which is Energy Connect, he called it. And hmm. he used to do- What's the name again? Um, Willenbrink, Joseph Willenbrink, okay. the guy that did it. So he'd do these half hour segments and it was all about how energy flows through your body. And that's all we really have. And about how, you know, it can get stopped up sometimes, but if it's not going through, and it used to take you every week, I guess he did this once a week, he would take you on a field trip and a little field trip and you'd go out and he'd have different ones doing like one of them was about how they're in a town and you're sitting sent in there to do the civil engineering because this huge fountain in the middle of the town isn't working and isn't operating Mm -hmm. and so somebody goes in there and fiddles with it or something on a superficial level but you never go underground and get the cleared out so and that's the sense of the energy flowing through your chakras Mm -hmm. and up your spine kind Mm -hmm. of thing but my favorite one that he did is he talks about uh, sort of like a Maslow's laws like hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And he starts with, you know, the first thing you need is air. Mm-hmm. And the second thing you need is water. And then the third thing is shelter, let's say. And then it goes up the hierarchy until we get to where we are. And all of a sudden we're in society. We want to be a part of community. Mm-hmm. We have expenses. We have, you know, and we go up and up and up and up and up. And so you're there, you're, you're doing your bills and all that, and you're just overwhelmed and you just don't, don't know how you're going to make ends meet. And all of a sudden you win the lottery. So you come down one level mm-hmm. in that hierarchy. You've got money now, so you're not. Mm-hmm. And then, so you go out and you buy a yacht and you're out in the water sailing on your yacht and everything, and everything is really good. And you get really, really thirsty. And so you go to reach for some water because there's water, water everywhere, mm-hmm. but not a drop to drink. You go to reach for the water 
and you get thrown overboard. Mm. Are you thinking about the water then? <laughs> and so what we do is that we get so much caught in the water mm -hmm. that all we can think of is how we're going to get that next breath. Mm. And when you're always worried about how you get the next breath, you cannot evolve to a place where yeah. you're sitting down drinking water and everything's cool. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that survival mode is really limiting. And what we're doing now, especially in America, it's all about survival right now. Well, it's interesting because we're actually not in, in many cases, there is true survival oh yeah fabricated right most of us are fine right i mean there's no tiger in this room right <laughs> right right <laughs> and so to truly evolve we do have to recognize when we're in survival mode truly and when we're not right and i think this is one of those programs i agree the meme just keeps coming at you mm -hmm. that everything's not okay no, you know not, you gotta get people, some more you gotta get more guns you gotta protect yourself right. you gotta you know yeah mm -hmm. it's, it's not okay you're right we're mm -hmm. mostly we are okay but we're not allowed to feel a place of safety with that right safety is right here right and again back to the we're gonna go back to the feminine right it's like truly being in the safety of the female body right. and being able to just be in this place where we know that everything is good. We have all the power and the resources right here. And what is that? But the womb. Right? Because it's only in that time, almost, that no matter what is done to you. Mm. And I mean, yes, you can be traumatized within the womb. There's no question about things like that. But however, the womb. Your needs are met. Everything is met. Everything is right there. Mm -hmm. And if it were, you know, respected and loved and cherished that that process would continue on mm. it gets interfered with well from birth right right you mentioned how birth happens and yeah. i think that's one of the places where we're the most powerful and it's completely disrupted and it disrupts mama and it disrupts baby so you have it right away right as mamas are coming into power and these babies are coming into their first experiences right, right there it is right there so much trauma in those moments I mean, there's, that's a huge area. I used to, I don't know if you know that I was a birth worker, but this is why I got into it. It's just really understanding the impact of the environment, not only on that mama and baby, but on our entire culture. Right. Right. So if mamas were revered in those moments, cared for, birthing in community, birthing with five women. Safe. Yeah. We'd Which have a different safe. culture. We would. So many beautiful things to follow in this conversation we could keep going yeah we could is there anything you want to highlight or share that we haven't touched on no I feel grateful to you mm -hmm. because I feel like I was able to touch on so many more topics than I would have ever imagined and mm -hmm. um you are a wealth <laughs> you are a wise woman and that's one of the things that the podcast is about is giving voice to people that really that their voice matters we want people to hear these words. It's super important. Well, I realize that I have lived life and that if I can appreciate, as you said earlier, you know, even the cuckoo crazy ones, if I could appreciate just the very fact that I've lived this much life, mm. I've learned something. And to rever it, whatever you do, and again, it's about not making judgments mm. about 
how good is it? Am I important? Is it, you know, incredible? Or if it just can be what it is mm. and accepting it at, in the place that it is, mm. I just think that we, that would be a good place to make people feel safe and, and continue mm. to grow. Accept. Yeah, acceptance is huge. Isn't it? Big practice. <laughs> All the practices progress. All right. Thank you. Thank you, my darling. Ancient voices spill the secrets. That's it for this episode of Magnolia Leadership Podcast. Having you here is such a blessing. As a Magnolia woman, we are leading from our deep aligned power to bring our full bloom to ourselves and our gifts to the world. If you're inspired by this podcast, I invite you to share it with someone or leave a review. Sign up for our newsletter or one of Magnolia Leadership's upcoming in-person or online offerings at magnolialeadershipco.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, so much love to you.